Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. But, you know, maybe the lack of a surprise was uh, the greatest surprise. Or maybe not. Or not. (laughs) At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello once again, this is Lou Katz, and I want to welcome you to the podcast that does its best to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. We want to welcome now from Vulture and WTOP Radio, Jen, I love my blue hair, Chaney. Thank you, welcome. And this week's guest critic appears in syndication as the movie mom, and you also know her as an editor and critic for RogerEbert.com. Great to have her back. Let's give it up for Nell Minow. Thank you. And yes, we saved the worst for last. Our our longtime critic, entertainment reporter, and the official electoral vote counter in North Carolina at this very hour. You love him, Arch Campbell. I'm using all my fingers and both of my hands. So, uh, yeah, that's the best I got to. Here we are. Welcome, Nell Minow, and hello, Jen, and hi, Lou. And uh, let's get started on the world of entertainment with uh, a little discussion of uh, Warner Brothers' latest move to put all of their movies next year on HBO Max. What do we think? I mean, I think it was handled very badly. If if you Mm. read the New York Times article in which it was described that you know, when they made this decision about Wonder Woman, which appeared to be a one-off at the time, they told Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins, who directed it ahead of time, there was some negotiation. They got, a, a you know, some more money that they would have otherwise gotten from a back end in a, in a more uh, normal theatrical release situation. But then when they decided to do it with the whole slate, they informed the creatives involved about 90 minutes before the announcement was made to the public. So people like, you know, representation for Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie and probably a long list of others was like, wait a minute, why didn't you treat us the way that you treated the people from Wonder Woman? So um, they've uh, they've really kind of created a rift between themselves and some of the creatives who have been, you know, longtime collaborators with Warner Brothers. As to whether or not this is going to be effective, whether it's a good idea, a good strategy, I'm honestly not sure. Now, maybe you can speak to that. Well, I completely agree with you. They could not possibly have handled it worse. Uh, there's That just like violates the most important rule of any kind of communication, which is you want to let people know of bad news uh, before it becomes public. And in terms of the finances, uh, I, I am genuinely worried about the future of theaters. Uh, the, if, if they're not going to have you. the ability to have exclusive releases, then I don't know whether they're going to be able to survive. Theaters operate on such thin margins already. They go in and out of bankruptcy all the time. And uh, as we know, they survive on the on the overpriced concessions and not on the ticket sales. So I just am not sure what's going to happen there. I also feel terrible for the creatives. I've watched a bunch of movies this year, and I know you have too, on my laptop with my name across mm. the and known as I was watching them how much time and effort they put into every square inch of what's on the screen and and feeling, you know, Outpost and uh, Greyhound and, you know, even the Crudes part two, I could tell would be so much better on a big screen. And so um, I'm sorry about that. I want to ask both of you about the changing of habits 
which is what I think uh, the big thing will be remembered from the pandemic is that our habits are changing. And, and that is what I wonder about movies in the future, that we're now in the habit of watching them online or uh, on our uh, home theater. Well, Arch, you know, in this, as in so many other respects, you are an unusual person. As you well know, most movie ticket buyers for at least 11 months out of the year are between the ages of 15 and 30. what a nice way of saying i'm very old now but you're right their lives are not going to change because they like to go to the theater they like to go with their friends they like to get out of the house and so that demographic is not going to change that will always be there in terms of the older people and the little kids yeah i do think that, that they've gotten used to watching at home and i think that they will continue to do so i know i've told you this before i have to subscribe to many too many streaming services over of the pandemic. Now you're right about the the data about 15 to 30 year olds generally being the most active moviegoers, but I I do wonder if in the long term that's going to change with, you know, people my son's age and younger once they get to that point. Even even from growing up during a pandemic, like having this happen and and becoming more accustomed as Arch was saying to watching things at home. I mean, I don't know. My son doesn't really necessarily clamor to go to the movies. And maybe he's an unusual case because he has a mother who is so willing to take him that he would rather not go. (laughs) But I do wonder if in a longer term kind of scenario, that's going to, those habits are going to change. I I would also say that what the pandemic has done is it has accelerated changes that were already in the process of happening and just made them happen much more quickly. Um, and, you know, as you said, theaters were already having some problems before any of this happened. And I think a lot of people were watching more things at home before this happened. And it's just put that into warp speed. So, I, but I still don't think theaters are going to go away. I think there'll probably be fewer of them. And I think people will be, you know, watching things at home and maybe going to the theaters a little bit less. But I don't think it's going to be like a, an all or none situation. Well, it's interesting that both of you bring up the uh, mistreatment of creatives because this week on Netflix, we get the release of Mank, the uh, classic story of the mistreatment of a screenwriter in the 1930s and 40s, Herman Mankiewicz. And uh, I loved it when it came down on Netflix. And I loved it so much that I watched it twice this week. And then I watched Citizen Kane again, just as a topper, and I just had a wonderful time. And now that Mank is in wide circulation, uh, how do both of you feel about it? I also love Mank. I'm shocked by uh, some of the vituperation. It's, you know, it's fine. People don't like it, but some people seem to really hate it, which I'm having a problem with. I think they seem to have missed the point of the movie. But I loved it. I thought it was uh, a big, ambitious, challenging, respecting the audience film. There was, again, so much in every inch of the frame. I really think it takes at least two or three times before you really get it all. Right. I those people who do who does think Citizen Kane is the greatest movie of all time. If you have not listened to the Roger Ebert shot-by-shot commentary on Citizen Kane. Mm. Wow, yeah. The greatest experiences of my life and and so i thought mank was brilliant i didn't think it was perfect but i thought it was brilliant and jen is frowning 
No, no. I mean, I, you know, I talked about this a little last week, I think. I mean, I think uh, it's a, yeah. a beautifully made film. I love the way it was shot. I love the, the nods to Citizen Kane, the visual nods to Citizen Kane. Um, and just the way that it feels like if you happened upon this and somehow didn't know you were watching Netflix, you might think you were watching Turner Classic movies because it yeah. feels like a movie from that era. I think some of the consternation that Nell is talking about, some of it has to do with Gary Oldman being cast as Mankiewicz because he's significantly older than Herman Mankiewicz would have been at the time. Um, although the, I guess the argument against that that I've heard is, well, he looked a lot older than he actually was. So right. yeah. we'll just split the difference here. You know, I think Oldman gives a very good performance, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's like everything is so divisive right now. Like this has nothing to do with Mank, but there was a screening of Midnight Sky, the George Clooney movie last night that a lot of people watched and, and including myself. And right afterwards, I heard a lot of people just trashing the movie. And then one person saying, this is the best work George Clooney has ever done. And I'm just like, you know what? I, 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 I give up. I don't know. I think the thing about Mank is that you have to walk into it with a lot of prior knowledge. And, yeah. and there's kind of a catch-22. If you got all the knowledge, sometimes you can have too much knowledge, and then you can start picking at the uh, creative nonfiction they use. And I would like to take a moment to tell my favorite Herman Mankiewicz story, which was referred to in the movie, but told wrong, he went to a dinner party at the home of a Hollywood producer who was, who fashioned himself as, as a brilliant gourmet. And so the uh, dinner was, was highly gourmet. Everything was just perfect. And at that dinner, Makowitz vomited. <laughs> and after he vomited, he said, it's all right the white wine came up with the fish. <laughs> and of course, they changed the context of that entirely. So it's not nearly <laughs> as biting. Yesterday, I interviewed a woman who has written a forthcoming biography of Marion Davies uh -huh. and asked her about, and she said, the, the, what I think everyone will agree, whether they like the film or not, the heart of the film is this warm relationship between yeah. Marion Davies and Mankiewicz. Uh, beautifully played by Amanda Seyfried. And um, she said, there's no evidence that they were friends with each other at all, but okay, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's, but that's, that's okay. Movies are allowed to do that. Um, and, and the same thing goes with the fact that he's too old. Not like Kevin Spacey playing Bobby Darren, because we all know what Barbie Darren looked like. <laughs> like. And everybody in the 1940s looked 20 years older than their age compared to today. And they lived anyway, 20 so that, years uh, less. Yeah. Their yeah. lifespan well, especially was less. <laughs> yeah. But I did not think the movie was about who wrote the script. No. I did not no. think the movie was about Mankiewicz's life so i thought the movie was very much in conversation with today's issue about fake news about media moguls about all that i thought that was fascinating uh and i just have to have a little shout out to the man who played upton sinclair <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a wonderful piece of casting a right. fun little surprise uh and that is another piece of creative uh non-fiction i don't i don't think uh the connection between uh, Upton Sinclair and uh, Mank was that strong, but you know who knows, and and that leads but, to the comment I'm hearing from a lot of people, which is uh, they tell me they couldn't follow it. 
My father said that. And I think that that is, again, something that really suffered on the small screen because on the big screen, you would see those log lines that set off each uh, scene and and let you know whether you're going back or forth in time. In Citizen Kane, by the way, it's super clear (laughs) where you are when you're going to a flashback or when you're in the present. Yes. And then it's not in this, but I think it would be if it were on the big Did you have a hard time seeing the log lines? Uh, no, I was watching it on TV though, not a laptop. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, same thing. Yeah, I was watching on TV, but I would get up and stand in front of my TV, so there was a lot of up and down. Didn't you love seeing those little circles in the in the screen? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cigar burns, cigarette burns, yeah. rather. Oh well. So, uh, Jen, I think you would like to take a moment to remember Squiggy. David Landers, yeah, he passed away uh, a few few days ago. Um, he had had MS for for many many years, um, you know, and he's he's been in a lot of things, but certainly people remember him best as Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley, and um, and he was just so funny and so wonderful with Michael McKeon on that show. And there is no reason on earth why Prince Charming cannot walk through our front door. Hello. This song is called Night After Night, and it's about two nights in a row. And I was just reflecting after he died that, you know, of the four kind of principal characters um, with Penny Marshall gone, and we've only got Lenny and Shirley left, which just makes me kind of sad. Yeah. So let's move on. And uh, what is uh, new in your world this week, Jim? Uh, I've only got three things to mention this week. And the first one, sadly, I wanted to talk about in greater detail, but my screener wouldn't work. <laughs> So I couldn't mm-hmm. watch it. Um, but that is the movie uh, Let Them All Talk, mm-hmm. uh, which arrives on HBO Max tomorrow. Did you see it now? I did see it. I would love to talk about okay, it. Okay, please go ahead. Because my, my your screener worked. Unfortunately, my screener did work. I didn't I didn't account for that movie very much. I will say my editor loved it and gave it a great review at RogerEbert.com. Uh, I did not. I'm just gonna say for the record that. Generally speaking, 99.9% of the time, actors are not screenwriters, and it is a mistake to turn over the dialogue to the actors. And that is pretty much what they did here. They had a part, a part of a script and a, and a sort of an overall storyline by Deborah Eisenberg, and then they put all of these actresses on and 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 Lucas Hedges on a uh, on the Q, on the Queen Mary and took them across the ocean and sort of said, okay, in this scene we want you to get from A to B, talk to each other. And I did not feel that that worked very well. Um, Is there now, a plot at all? There is a plot. Meryl Streep plays an extremely successful novelist. Uh, her uh, publisher is very, very, very interested in getting her to publish her next book, which she's been very secretive about. They're hoping it's a sequel to her most successful book. And she has been given a very prestigious award. She does not fly. And so they arrange for her to go across the ocean on the Queen Mary. And she says, I would like to bring some people with me. She brings her nephew, played by Lucas Hedges, and her two best college friends that she hasn't seen for a while, played by Candace Bergen and Diane Wiest. And it's about what happens on that voyage. And as I said, I thought <laughs> let them write their own dialogue. You know, let them all talk, but I don't have to listen to it. <laughs> but um, but uh, I did not think it was a successful experiment. So both of you saw the prom, which I can't wait to see. I have Friday. not seen the prom. They wouldn't I- give me the prom either. <laughs> But I, I heard, didn't go to the prom. I have heard from a colleague who was not um, because it was a time of 
of life when people were boycotting things. Uh, okay, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. RogerEbert.com did not love it. It's a big, splashy theater nerd musical with Meryl Streep, Michael Keith, Nicole Kidman, James Corden, and it is just silly, lots of fun. It's, it would like to be Hairspray. It's not Hairspray, but it's silly and fun and wonderful dancing. Andrew Reynolds is in it. I just smiled all the way through. I was very happy. Well, I, I can't say what I think since I haven't seen it yet, but my theater nerd colleague did not like it at all. So I don't know what to make of that. Okay. Well, uh, I, I, I thought it was great. It's just fun. Well, speaking, speaking of, of that, oh, yeah, you've speaking got of, a Broadway uh, production. Yeah. Uh, on Thursday night, NBC is, is airing a show called One Night Only Best of Broadway. And it's, it's just really an opportunity for all these shows that have been closed down for, for months to get to perform in some capacity. So you're going to see a lot of performances from shows like uh, Jagged Little Pills, things that were, were up and running uh, when mm. the pandemic hit. So if you, if you miss Broadway, you might want to set the DVR or just set your Google calendar to remind you to watch that at 8 o'clock on Thursday night. And uh, anything else new in your world? Not that I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since I have gone to bat now for a couple of movies that I've been very enthusiastic about that have had mixed reviews elsewhere, I would like to now trash some terrible movies that I've seen like, <laughs> to make myself feel better. I would like to really urge everyone to stay away as far as possible from Holiday on Netflix, which is one of the <laughs> movies I have ever seen ever. And it's like if the Hallmark Christmas movies pretty Dorian Gray going out in the world. This is the ugly painting getting more disgusting every minute back in the closet. It's just absolutely terrible. And I'm sorry, Emma Roberts. It is just horrible. Oh, and so Drew sorry. Barrymore's movie this week, The Stand-In, I thought I was going to perish. It was so sad. <laughs> oh. So, watching, you know, I don't love everything. But you've got a couple that you're really excited about now. I am. Uh, I don't want to sound too criticky. I think that's the, the risk of that is zero, having having gushed over the prom. But the movie that is Canada's uh, official nominee for the uh, foreign language Oscar, because it's in French, is called Antigone. It's an updating mm -hmm. of the Greek play set in the world of undocumented immigrants. And I thought it was oh. really, it really blew me away. The young girl who plays Antigone, one of the best performances of the year. So I absolutely love that. And you've seen Ma Rainey, which I'm very excited to see. I have seen it too. That one I actually did see. <laughs> yeah. That's a week from Friday, right? On, That's on right. Netflix. Yes. And uh, Jen, what did you think of it? I mean, I was just completely blown away by Chadwick Boseman in that movie. I mean, mm. that is just, I mean, he, he is someone who gave many great performances, but that may be the greatest work he ever did. Um, and obviously takes on, uh, a different poignancy knowing that he passed away and that it was the last thing he ever he's shot. So, he's so thin in, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're compared to the Black Panther. Yeah, and Viola Davis, in my opinion, the greatest actress working today, uh, is, is dazzling in it. I'm a big, big August Wilson fan, and this is one of his most powerful plays. I want to recommend also, there's a documentary on Netflix, uh, coming to Netflix of a, a competition of young people doing August Wilson monologues that has mm. clips from August Wilson and it's just wonderful, really loved it. But I thought Ma Rainey was just a sizzling, powerful 
just beautiful beautiful uh movie i, I love sounds like award season is already uh congregating around uh, chadwick boseman and uh, amanda seyfried yeah there's definitely talk about both of them and i mean yeah. to be honest you know certainly i think there's a desire to honor chadwick boseman but even if you know had he not died i think that this mm -hmm. performance would have been an award conversation starter absolutely like it's just that monologue that he does with just a clear god monologue yeah yeah that is just it, it's 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 extraordinary it's just you know wow. yeah i i forget um where i read this but the director i think it was george c wolf was saying that i think it was him that after he did that monologue he, he wasn't expecting him to to go like to go right from one moment in the scene through the mo whole monologue and he did and then chadwick boseman just collapsed in sobs after he was done mm. and it mm. really it does once you see it you know it it Obviously, he's in the moment, he's his character, but it does, there's an element of, is he also, as Chadwick, talking to God, too? I saw an early production at Arena Stage when they were sort of trying out the piece, and uh, I still remember it. Uh, I can't wait to see the movie. I want to mention something I stumbled onto that I've been looking for for a while, a documentary titled My Darling Vivian. Mm. of the life of Vivian Liberto, who was the first wife of Johnny Cash. And it is a family story starring all of Johnny Cash's daughters, uh, specifically Roseanne Cash, telling their mother's story and sort of taking her side. It's kind of an answer to walk the line, which paints Johnny Cash's first wife as a little bit of a shrew. And, and it's quite interesting, and uh, it certainly is a family story and very moving, and uh, it held my attention the entire time. I got it on Amazon Prime. I've been looking for it, and uh, it cost me $4.99, and I'm happy to have uh, spent the $4.99 uh, because it's quite a good piece of work with quite a lot of documentary stuff and home movies and uh, pictures and letters and uh, uh, and a very, very interesting. And June Carter Cash does not come out very well, <laughs> this, which is a little surprise. So watch that if you can. So let's see, Lou, any of this stuff appeal to you? A lot of it does, and some of it doesn't. I will tell you that I did have a chance to watch half of the brand new Tom Hanks movie, News oh. of the World. Oh, I've seen it. And uh, I, wait. I fell asleep about 60 minutes into it. It just, I don't know, it just didn't truly keep me awake enough to watch. I know it comes out on Christmas Day. What did you think of it? I have not seen it. Nell said you have seen it. I saw it, yeah. I'm not not much of a fan of the book, and so I was hoping that the movie would show oh. me what I missed in the book, and I really didn't feel that it did. Tom Hanks, of course, is always great. The little girl is great. But I found the movie to be sort of a weak uh, imitation of some of the John Ford classics, mm -hmm. what movie think of as Searchers, of course. I thought it was just okay. And I loved the book. And, in fact, I have given the book to friends of mine but it's because I'm from South Texas and it's got that South Texas German connection. And, mm -hmm. uh, and because I love the book, uh, that probably doesn't bode well for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I think if you love the book, you probably will love the 
<laughs> There's a story about the guy who takes the dog to the movies and the dog leaves and his friend says, what's wrong? And the guy says, the dog liked the book better. <laughs> so, Lewis, well, give us a break. Well, I am. And here's something you might like a little better. Uh, it's about uh, a feature we have every Sunday night at 9 o'clock here on Hound Radio. And if you love lost songs, check this out. According to the Webster Dictionary, the definition of the word stiff, when used as a noun, is a flop or failure. So Hound Radio, lover of floppy ears and all kinds of music, invites you to enjoy an hour of musical flops and failures. Hey, it's Lou. Thanks to Lisa over in Falls Church, one of our Hound listeners, she has sent in a classic stiff. Came in number 58 in 1972 on the Billboard charts. We call it Sunday Night Stiffs. Each weekend for an hour, Hound Radio will play nothing but lost songs that never became hits. Some are singles, some are album tracks, but they all have one thing in common. They're stiffs. Got one you want to hear? Send it to Lou at HoundRadio.com. There's only one internet radio station that's bold enough or dumb enough to do this. It's Sunday Night Stiffs, every weekend from 9 till 10 on Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. And now here's Jen to quiz us on uh, what's on her mind called Flashbacks and Favorites. Well, since it's the holiday season, uh, I thought this week we should talk about one or two of our favorite holiday movies. And if possible, try to avoid the usual suspects. We all know The Wonderful Life is great. We all know Christmas Story is great. You know, something maybe that people might not think of as a Christmas movie right away. I have one. I thought of one. I have a recommendation. Holiday Inn from 1942 with uh, Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby. And it's the movie where Irving Berlin introduced White Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. The boys open a uh, an inn up in New England, and uh, the hook of the end is they celebrate the holidays, and it comes up to uh, Christmas, and they all sing White Christmas, and uh, that's what I got. All right. Now I know you're a lover of Christmas movies. <laughs> I do. I do love Christmas movies, and Alistair Sim Christmas Carol. Um, is my very favorite. But if you want one that is a little bit off the beam, one that I watch every year is uh, Tennessee Williams' only comedy, Period of Adjustment, starring Tony Franciosa and uh, Jane Fonda. Riding me off to the Old Man River Motel. That's a pavilion of joy. It was three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't find anything else. You've all gone through a perfectly natural little period of adjustment. I absolutely love it. It is one of the sweetest, most touching, uh, funny, smart, wonderful movies, and it does take place on Christmas. Great. Well, I used to make a list every year of unconventional holiday movies when I worked at the Washington Post. So I'm just going to very quickly highlight two from the 80s and one from 2015. The two from the 80s are The Sure Thing, which is a great romantic comedy with John Cusack, directed by Rob Reiner, that takes place while he's uh, traveling to visit his friend from college um, during the holiday season. Uh, Another one that is all, you might not think of this as a holiday movie, but it's all set during the holiday season is Diner, which is a great, great Mm -hmm. movie with... um, a lot of wonderful actors who were very, very young at the time. And then uh, from 2015, the movie Carol with Kate Blanchett, 
and Rooney oh. Mara um, is a beautiful, beautiful movie and is, is also takes place largely at the holidays. And it just, it really has a Christmas look about it. I think the two of them meet even when um, uh, Kate Blanchett's character is Christmas shopping. So those are three more for you. Since we're on this subject, I'd like to ask both of you if you think uh, running a movie into the ground the way television now does with It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Story really uh, doesn't serve that movie very well. TV doesn't run It's a Wonderful Life into the ground in the, anymore. I mean, it, it used to. There was a time period where it did. Now it gets shown on NBC on Christmas Eve night, mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. Um, it's just that we talk about it a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody knows it's it's sort of the quintessential Christmas movie. A Christmas Story gets shown every year for 24 straight hours, um, starting at eight o'clock on Christmas Eve night on TBS, and it will be again this year. And, you know, I love that movie, and I it is, it's always on in the background um, for me every year. It's just like, put that on, I'll just jump in wherever. I know it by heart at this point. That's one of my favorite endings of a movie ever. I just think the end of that movie is so sweet and perfect. I really love it. Good idea, Ernie, a toast <laughs> to my big brother, George. The richest man in town. I don't think it demeans the movie or takes away from the movie. There are a lot of ways to watch a movie. There's a way where, Arch, like you get up close to the TV, or there's a way where you have it. They're both perfectly acceptable. Uh, I do want to mention, I sent this to Jen yesterday. Uh, In my view, there are no good Hanukkah movies that does not exist, and, and I don't particularly like the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song, but David Diggs from Hamilton has a new Hanukkah song. I want a puppy for Hanukkah. I'm gonna get what I want in On YouTube, highly recommend. <laughs> so uh, what shall we, uh, anybody have in, anything else on anyone's mind before we uh, begin to wrap? We didn't talk about this earlier, but they announced this week that the producer of this year's Academy Awards is going to be Steven Soderbergh, which I find oh. fascinating. <laughs> He doesn't let them all write their own their own lines. It's all going to be on a cruise ship. That's that's the gimmick this year. But I but I, I I'm fascinated by that. It's not normally you know someone that is so so much a filmmaker and thought of as a filmmaker that is in charge of the Academy Awards. So I'm I'm really interested to see what he does with that. Uh, I want to mention uh, Chuck Yeager passed away, and if you don't know who Chuck Yeager is, get a hold of the right stuff. The wonderful. Uh, film about uh, the space race in the 60s made in the 80s and we should all be so uh, lucky to have uh, our life portrayed in a movie as good as uh, the right stuff absolutely i love that movie and when you come to washington uh go to the air and space museum where you will see Jaeger's <laughs> plane the glamorous glennis hanging there right uh, mm-hmm. in the main hallway I want to recommend a movie that I think we'll be hearing about at Oscar time, Nomadland with uh, Francis. Mm. He's a lock for a nomination and a, and a good bet for a win on that. A very, very touching and timely story about a woman who has lost everything and just takes to the road. I want to mention last week on the PBS newscast, they did a segment on the van culture, which was fascinating. There's an entire culture built around it. And and from what I hear, No Man Land will uh, tap into that. They've got websites and a YouTube channel. And- Absolutely. You're 100% right. And uh, it is an intentional culture is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
who've lost everything and have got nowhere else to go. This is something people choose. It's a very warm and communal culture. And many, many of the people in the movie are of that culture. They're not actors. They're really interacting with her. Wow. I want to add real quick, my darling Vivian also is something to look for uh, online. It's a wonderful documentary. Lou, how can we wrap today up? Well, we got Hanukkah kicking off this week. (laughs) And for those that are celebrating, I have come up with a song to wrap up this week's podcast from the uh, American Orthodox Jewish all-male a cappella group known as the Maccabees. I love the Maccabees. The Maccabees. See there, Nell loves the Maccabees. So I have their latest Hanukkah song just for you now. Have a great week. We'll catch you next week right here.
This is the Cats Podcasting System.